It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals have signed another draft pick, but many of you have asked in our mailbag that will be coming to you in segments two and three of today's show why Joe Burrow and T. Higgins haven't signed their deals yet. So we're going to start the show today with a little bit of news, including an update on NFL-NFLPA negotiations, which don't seem to be going very well now that the crux of the issue appears to be money. We're going to start with the news, then get into the weekend mailbag, which it's still just such a great episode because we get to interact with the people. We get to hear the questions on your mind and answer them directly. So that's coming your way later on in the show. But James, let's get started with a little bit of news. Let's get started with Khaled Kareem, who has signed his deal officially announced by the Bengals today. That's five out of seven draft pick signs, which means just T. Higgins and Joe Burrow remain unsigned. Jeff Hobson did indicate that he expects T. Higgins' deal to get done soon, and Chase Young actually did sign his contract today, and it was a little bit noteworthy because of the way it was structured, a lot of that money getting paid up front. So that might be a little bit of what's going on with the Bengals and Joe Burrow, but there is no such thing as a financial holdout anymore, so we don't have anything to worry about there. They're just ironing out details, and we can give the Bengals a pat on the back for getting five out of seven of these deals done with just two to go. Totally agree. And that's where I'm at. And it's it's funny that there are a lot of people worried right now. And and I, I'm not one of them. I don't think there's really any reason to worry. The fact that like if on Sunday, Jake, if you would have told me that on Thursday afternoon, the Bengals would have five of their seven draft picks signed. I've said, all right, that's about right. I wasn't expecting them to to get the whole draft class done the, the day uh, rookies reported and, and took their COVID test and all that stuff. So I think that uh, they're on schedule and uh, there are plenty of rookies across the league that haven't signed yet. Joe Burrow, T Higgins are two of them, but I expect those deals to get done. Yeah. There are a lot of players, even in the first round that haven't signed their deals. Joe Burrow, of course, one of those that'll happen any day now, really, but let's shift gears and talk a little bit about what players can expect with training camp scheduled to start on Tuesday Not an agreement in place yet between the NFLPA and the NFL on what training camp should look like. Part of this comes down to simply scheduling tests and getting players in for physicals that haven't had their physicals yet. Another part of this comes down to player safety, but the most important hangup seems to be around money. And that's really no surprise with owners expecting to lose a significant amount of revenue this year. That's the problem here is is owner owners want to 
take the hit now and, and drop the cap down some in the next year, uh, you know, th- this year, 2020 and 2021. And the players don't want that. Obviously, they want to expand it over the next uh, the entire CBA, which I believe is 11 years. And that's what I would be in favor of. Right. Because I, I think as revenue goes up, uh, a five to ten million dollar hit per year isn't nearly as big of a deal. But they're at a, a stalemate right now. And I, I will say on Thursday evening, you started to see some back and forth public publicly. Look, this is a chess match. This is part of the negotiation process. Call me an optimist here. I, I would assume that both sides, this isn't like Major League Baseball where some owners didn't want to get a deal done. Everyone wants to get a deal done. Everyone wants to get paid. And there is kind of a, a soft deadline with Sunday with uh, the Texans and the Chiefs expected to uh, report, the veterans expected to report for training camp. So if they want that to happen, then they're going to have to uh, potentially get a deal done and hopefully they can get something done over the next 48 hours or so. Yeah, a litany of tweets from Tom Pelissero backing up all of those points. Chiefs and Texans rookies scheduled to begin strength and conditioning on Sunday, which is that date that NFL owners, at least, are looking to finalize the deal with the NFLPA. He also says if there's no deal Sunday, the CBA does contain a no-strike, no-lockout clause. But with no camp schedule agreed to, that could lead to just more virtual work. And for the Bengals and a rookie quarterback and a bunch of new players that need to integrate with a new system, that is not good news. We want to get these guys on the field as soon as it's safe to do so so that they can start learning their new ropes, their new digs, their new assignments, the new terminology they will have from those virtual meetings, but getting it installed physically is not done yet. So with already a long ramp-up period for training camp, the sooner that this agreement is reached, the sooner we'll be able to get a camp schedule, get players through their physicals, get them officially signed for those that aren't signed, and get them on the field. So hopefully the NFLPA and NFL owners get that done sooner than later, with Sunday being the date to really watch for. And that would be the maddening thing about this, Jake, is I think the the NFL – and the NFLPA and what appears to be a short time has established the safety protocols. Maybe not all the plans from each individual team have been approved yet, but they, they seem to be close to agreeing on all the safety protocols in light of COVID-19 for training camp. So that part appears to be good. It's the money part. It's the revenue part. And I, I think it's that's when it could get messy here because baseball's back. The NBA's close to back. There's scrimmages and stuff like that happening in Orlando. If you're the NFL and you have the safety protocols done, you know how bad of a look it's going to be if you can't get on the field and start training camp and get things rolling when the NBA is, when baseball is awful as it looked a couple of months ago, they're back in action. So there's a little bit of pressure here. And and that's why ultimately I think it gets done is because – can you imagine if they went to a virtual camp, even for a week, that the public outcry that would be there and how bad they would look with the NBA playing games and with Major League Baseball playing games? It wouldn't look good. And so I, I lean towards the somehow, some way they find a an agreement here and get things rolling. Yeah, I don't know if the owners care is the thing. I think that enough of the public likes to blame the players when this happened because the old, you know, 
you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a children's game. And that's not fair because I don't get paid a million dollars to play a children's game. And so you should just shut up and play. So there's enough people like that 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 exists that maybe the owners don't care and they'll just play a little hardball and get theirs. Or maybe they do care about the optics enough because I, I do have concerns that there aren't enough people that think you get paid billions of dollars because you own a team that plays a children's game. They, they just, they only have that logic for players. Right. So I, I am a little worried about that, but, but I do tend to agree with you that the more likely scenario is if something gets done on the other hand, you know, you have stars in baseball that have tested positive for COVID they're asymptomatic after playing a game and and you think about that happening in baseball. What's the fallout of Hunter Dozier and and who was it? Juan Soto, testing positive. I believe so. Yeah. And and imagine that happening in in the NFL. Like Trey Hawkins, you know the the JC Treader thing stands out in my mind. Trey Hawkins tests positive. He's asymptomatic, but he's a center. Now now what do you do with Joe Burrow, who's been taking snaps from him all day? What do you do with Geno Atkins, who's been across the field from him all day? How do you handle that in the NFL? Those are real questions, right? And and I don't think that any safety protocol is going to make you feel very comfortable with that. Sure. No, it's – look, players are going to get COVID-19. Like, yeah. it, it's it's going to happen. And so that that's the other part here is, is players can opt out prior to, to August 1, and I wouldn't be shocked if some do, specifically those – uh, with underlying health issues that we don't know about or potentially, you know, young kids, children, things like that, re- siblings, family, wives, anything like that where, where they could be at risk. You don't want to put your family at risk. And so uh, I think that's a, a possibility. And, and the, the key here, again, is testing and just having so much testing. So if it, let's say Trey Hopkins does get it, well, now the entire offensive line, Joe Burrow, really maybe everybody on offense takes a daily test for two weeks. And it's just it's a lot of tests uh, and it's a lot of time and it might be uncomfortable until they get that saliva test. But I, I think that's what you're going to have to do if you're going to semi feel safe and feel semi normal as you get going here with the, the NFL season. And speaking of staying safe, James, if you have any car repairs you need to do, you need to touch up your brakes, you need to replace your oil, you need to fix your air filter, your air conditioning, you got a squeaky wheel. Head on over to rockauto.com for their fantastic selection and amazing prices for literally any car make, any model that you could possibly need. I just went and looked at oil, and I didn't know this many kinds of oil existed, James. I mean, they they have more stuff than you could even need, and you can search for your car specifically so you can see what parts they have for your make and your model. And it doesn't even matter if they don't make that. That those cars anymore let's say you're driving a saturn sky which is a really cool sports car made in like 07 well they got parts for that Saab, they got parts for those cars a delorean yeah you remember back to the future if you somehow happen to have that car they have parts for that so whatever you're looking for make model part it doesn't matter they got it and as jake mentioned plenty of different oils synthetic blend go with the full synthetic by the way if you just got a new car they have that too if you do need any parts, head on over to rockauto.com. Make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. 
If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It's mailbag time here on Locked On Bengals, and let's dive right into it. Let's start with Austin. ATMR Sports on Twitter asks, Why aren't Burrow and Higgins signed yet, Jake? I know they will be soon, but doesn't that seem weird? No, Austin and everybody. It's not just Austin, guys. Don't go in Austin's mentions be like, hey, Austin, why didn't you know that? Of course they're going to. No, this is like a very common question that I've been getting personally that's in the mailbag like seven times today. It's not weird. You look at second round picks and first round picks around the league. There's a good handful that aren't signed yet. Until you hear something specifically that says there are issues in getting the contract signed, you should generally believe there are no issues in getting the contract signed. There is no reason to believe that you're letting like Florio and Dan Patrick get into your head here. And and that's, we've, we've put that to bed, right? So rest easy that this is a formality at this point. I've got my Joe Burrow jersey. You can go buy your Joe Burrow autographed hat in the Bengals Pro Shop.com or Pro Shop right now. It looks really good. It's a little expensive, but it looks really good. Queen City football. Oh, yeah, that's nice. So no reason to worry. No, not weird. How expensive? It was like 270 or something. Hey, man, throw a touchdown first, right? Sign your contract <laughs> first before I do that. No, I, I actually, I think this is all a ploy to... Uh, force a trade to Miami because they've been so good over the past 10 years mm-hmm. at football. You, you know how good the Dolphins have been, right? I mean, it's like a destination when it comes to football because, you know, the days of Dan Marino weren't 25 years ago when he was in his prime. It was like five years ago. No, well, I, they, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, I Look, ha, here's what I'll say. Bengals fans, you fought back for months with all these national talking heads. Now you can just have some confidence. It's going to get done. Don't worry about it. It's uh, like you said, Jake, you said it right. It's a formality at this point. What about what about the Washington football team? Wouldn't you want to play for a team that doesn't okay. have a mascot? Doesn't that I mean, sound fun? That's actually like the best part of that team right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with everything going on there. Can you imagine? Oh. They did just sign Chase Young. Our next question comes from Kevin Brown at KD Brown 357 on Twitter. He asks, might be asking a bit much, but I would love a rundown of which teams you think the Bengals will have a real chance against on this year's schedule. I would honestly, it's again, we did this uh, during crossover week. I, I said, the Bengals on paper, I think, have the talent to compete with anyone in the division. And I think the Ravens have the best roster in all of football. So I think they can compete with anyone. Now, with that said, I will quickly play the schedule game um, in, in not say win-loss, but say realistic shot to win. And that's it. 
Uh, I think week one, week two, they both are realistic at Philly. I don't think so. Jacksonville should be a win anyway at Baltimore. Probably not realistic, but, you know, who knows? At Indianapolis, I do think that's realistic. I think there's a, a chance that Phillip Rivers is a shot fighter at this point in his career. Cleveland, same thing at home. Realistic in week seven. Tennessee, well coached, going to be a tough game, but you're at home. So I, in week eight, I think that's realistic. At Pittsburgh, week 10, still realistic because I don't think Pittsburgh's roster is, and this sounds like a hot take, but I don't think it's that much better than the Bengals. They do have a better coach. At Washington, should be a win. Uh, the Giants at home, certainly realistic. At Miami, realistic. Dallas at home, probably unrealistic, right? They have a lot of firepower. I think that that Cowboys defense pretty good. So I'll say unrealistic there, even though it's at home. And even if Andy Dalton starts, he's going to have plenty of weapons. Um, Monday night football against Pittsburgh at home. I'm going to say realistic because Joe Burrow doesn't shrink under pressure. At Houston, unrealistic. Deshaun Watson is the truth. Um, and, and then Baltimore at home, week 17, I think that's realistic just because Baltimore might be uh, have everything wrapped up and, and not be worried about it. I didn't I didn't count very well, but you said one, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I think you got I think you have eleven or twelve realistic wins there. I think the only ones you said nope were Dallas, Houston, uh, let's see, Philly. And the Baltimore game in Baltimore, I think those were the four. You're saying no chance? And, yeah, and that doesn't mean – look, when I say realistic chances of winning, it doesn't mean I'm picking them to win. I would not pick the Bengals to go 12-4. and four. But do I think as of today going into that matchup, the Bengals would have a realistic shot to win? And I, I guess we're getting into to, to minutia here details-wise. But yes, a, they might only win a, you know, a third of those games that I said. But I, I could see them certainly competing with really every team on their schedule except for a couple of games here and there. Yeah, maybe. I, I think that the offensive line, as we talked about yesterday, is going to be a major problem in some of these matchups. In particular, Pittsburgh, while their offense is not looking very good this year, their defense, their pass rush still very strong. And, and that could create problems for the Bengals. Although the Bengals were able to run the ball surprisingly effectively against Pittsburgh last year. So if they can continue that this year, that'll make a big difference. The, the games that stand out to me as like imminently realistic are Jacksonville, Washington, New York, Miami. And, and those are the four. And, and maybe Indianapolis. So five that are like very realistic. I feel like maybe like they might even be favored in those games. Probably not, but maybe by the time we get there. I don't feel as strongly about the the division games. The Browns need to prove it, but again, everything on paper says that this will be the year that they prove some competence, but you know that doesn't mean anything. Paper's never meant anything in Cleveland. If there's anywhere that paper is meant less than it means for the Cleveland Browns, I do not know where that place is. So I... I uh, Maybe I shouldn't be including that, but it's hard for me to rationally looking at the talent on the team that they've amassed at really all levels, the, the should be competent coaching staff and think that the Bengals will be close to favorite in those games. But, you know, anything could happen, really. 
Yeah, it, it look, and that's that's the thing. Like, I if I had to predict the Bengals' record right now, it'd probably be around six and ten. Yeah. But this is but this is the fun part about this exercise is, I don't think there's going to be a time, assuming this roster is what we know it as of now, where I go, oh, they can't beat the Browns. Like, we expect Joe Burrow to play pretty well. Like, I think Joe Burrow will be the better quarterback in his matchup with Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert week one. Sounds crazy, and I get it, the offensive line and the pass rush that Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, all that stuff, but it matters. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Obviously, that that assumes Burrow's good. You know, if he if he struggles out of the gate, which he might, then, uh, th- then those expectations could change some. Yeah, it's tough with the rookie, right? Okay, let's go to our next question here, and this is specifically – for oh well, this first part is specifically for you. Tyler Olson on Twitter says, "Jake, tell us why the Bengals have no chance at the playoffs this year." James, tell us why the Bengals have a chance at the playoffs this year. So, Jake, tell us why the Bengals have no chance at the playoffs in 2020. So I'll answer this question, but uh, I'm going to put it with a caveat that is this isn't necessarily what I believe, but I'll tell you the the arguments for the Bengals having no chance at the playoffs this year. I, I don't make predictions. I said this yesterday. I talk about the likelihood of things happening. So is there a chance the Bengals make the playoffs? Of course. There's a chance that the offensive line exceeds all expectations and Joe Burrow is real. There's a chance that the offensive line is terrible. Joe Burrow is still really good and they don't make the playoffs. So if we want to talk about the reasons they won't make the playoffs, it could be that Zach Taylor isn't the guy and things don't click in year two. It could be that the offensive line is as bad as everyone thinks it is. And listen to yesterday's episode for more details about just how bad this offensive line is projected to be by an expert in Brandon Thorne, who we've had on this show before, really good offensive line evaluator. And this is Bobby Hart can't protect anybody. This is the guards are totally unproven, complete projections at this point. This offensive line could be such a disaster that the team is literally ruined because they can't block anybody. And this was a big part of the reason that they struggled last year. The other thing that could happen is the revamped secondary is, is kind of the same as it was last year. Just average at best, not very good, unable to really shut anything down. So this means William Jackson doesn't bounce back, take a step forward. This means Trey Waynes is essentially a Drake Kirkpatrick direct replacement instead of those uh, incidental improvements that we're expecting him to bring over Dre in tackling and speed. It means that Von Bell doesn't fit the defense. It means that DJ Reader doesn't improve things for Geno Atkins, who just happens to be on the wrong side of 30 and continues to decline late in his career. It means Carl Lawson doesn't bounce back to his early career form as a pass rusher. It means Sam Hubbard is, in fact, a mirage and is not as good as a sack production would have you believe. That is the doom and gloom scenario. Everything goes wrong. There's no chance they make the playoffs because I think they need pretty much everything to go right for them to make the playoffs. So, James, how does everything go right? Everything does have to go right for them to make the playoffs. Like, I'm not going to try to be super positive here and act like I, I'm going to predict them to make the playoffs because I'm not. And, and I don't really know what would change or would have to change between now and the start of the regular season for that to happen. I think the AFC North is the best division in football. So a couple of things. One, Ben Roethlisberger just struggles. He's just not the same guy. Pittsburgh struggles. Mason Rudolph potentially uh, replaces Ben Roethlisberger midseason the same way Brock Osweiler did with Peyton Manning, like that type of scenario. And then after that, you're right about the offensive line. They outperform 
what the expectations are. And that couldn't that doesn't mean everyone on the line is going to be good. That will not happen. But maybe Trey Hopkins takes a little tiny step forward and becomes more than just a competent center. Jonah Williams shows that he can be a franchise left tackle. Let's say those two things happen and maybe Michael Jordan takes a slight step forward. Now suddenly you feel pretty good about the left side of the, that offensive line in the center spot. The right side, I, I just so – not everything is going to go right. So if that happens, A.J. Green and John Ross stay healthy. Joe Burrow is the playmaker we saw in 2019 at LSU. Well, now there's the path, right? Because if that happens alone, they're going to be able to score a ton of points each week. Because you got Joe Mixon in the backfield, you got Ross, you got Green, you got Boyd in the slot, and then you got T. Higgins and Auden Tate supporting those two guys. And then on the flip side on defense, you need this defensive line to be consistent. Let's start there. Geno Atkins, yep, you played the most snaps of your career last year. So that needs to come down a little bit. You need to be more consistent, and you need to, to, to be that dude now with DJ Reader there. Because DJ Reader thinks he's the best tackle, defensive tackle on this team. And uh, and so it, it'll, it'll be fun. It could be fun if they make each other better. And then you, you're right about the pass rush. These guys on the, the outside, the ends, they need to get after the quarterback. And it would be much easier if Carl Lawson could stay healthy and Carlos Dunlap, as great as he is. I mean, he's going to be the Bengals' all-time leading sack, uh, have the, the most sacks in Bengals history. Yeah, I think he's three off right now uh, after this year. But he's inconsistent. Like, I'm not afraid to say it. If Carlos Dunlap was consistent – um, he would he would have even more sex than he does. So uh, th- those are the keys. Um, I-, I can't say, all right, well, you need these linebackers to show up and be great. I, I don't think that's realistic. They're young. Uh, the secondary should be much improved. But is Trey Wayne's going to be a shutdown corner? I don't think so. Maybe William Jackson the third looks like 2017 WJ3. So th- those are some of the things that need to happen. Uh, but part of it is the division, like I said. I, I don't think – like to me, Baltimore is clearly the best team in the division. So let's say they take a step back and win 11 games. Cleveland steps forward and wins 8-9. to nine. Then what? Pittsburgh wins 6-7 to seven, or, or you flip Cleveland and Pittsburgh? Like it, it's just hard without someone going down or something else happening for the Bengals to sneak their way in. It's possible, but uh, there's a lot of things that need to go right, including – uh, some bad things to other teams in the division. There is an extra playoff team this year, so yep. that helps a little bit. We have a lot more questions to get to here, James. We'll get into those coming up next. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's finish up the week strong here on the Locked On Bengals podcast with a few more questions from our adoring listeners, I assume. I assume they're adoring. Next question we're going to take today comes... From Jake Ward, is it crazy to think that Billy Price, after an offseason of working with Duke Manyweather and hopefully getting healthy, will be the best guard on this roster over Xavier Suofilo and Michael Jordan? It's crazy because I don't think the, the coaching staff feels that way or has that belief. Right? How many times have you heard how they believe in Michael Jordan, how they believe in Xavier Suofilo and how he fits 
on this line. It, 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 there's, I, I was talking to a, a former player today, and, and one thing he was said was, "Man, coaching matters so much, and their belief in you, and how where they put you, and how they use you." Look, Billy Price is drafted ahead of both of those guys. He, he's a, a guy that the Bengals thought was a, a surefire pick. At the same time, that has hasn't been the case. He's been injured. That doesn't mean he can't end up being a productive NFL player, even a starter at some point. But with eight padded practices and no preseason, I don't really see, barring injury how Billy Price is going to win a starting job from a guy they paid in free agency. And I know it's not big money, but still, uh, three years, $9 million, and then a guy in Michael Jordan who they clearly believe in. I think Billy Price is actually making more than Xavier Suofilo, but here's how it happens. And and it's exactly there in your question. He's getting healthy. He's This is the healthiest offseason he's had since coming into the NFL. No reported injuries for him. He doesn't have the pec. He doesn't have a foot. He should be as healthy as he's been. And as you point out, he's working with Duke Manyweather. So if he was ever going to have a shot to show that he actually can be an adequate guard in the NFL, a starting level guard, this is by far his best opportunity. I just I just don't know how he's going to be able to show. I, and not just him, any of these offensive linemen that are battling. Yep. So it's going to, be, going to be really interesting in training camp. Gary asks... Imagine you are the offensive line coach, so Jim Turner. Who would you have pegged for your starting five that's already on the roster? Because I know you will mention some free agents to bring in. Wink, wink. Yeah, he's putting that parameter on there for you, James. No Larry Warford on this offensive line. So if it's me making the decisions based on what I know today, not based on being Jim Turner, what I think Jim Turner will do, not based on what I think we'll see from these players – Left tackle is Jonah Williams. That one's easy. Left guard, probably Michael Jordan, because I think he has the best shot at taking a step forward this year. But if not, Michael Jordan, second for me at left guard is probably Xavier Suofilo, because that's where he was successful for Dallas last year in spot duty. At center is Trey Hopkins, just because he was solid last year. You you don't mess with that. At right guard, I'm actually giving Billy Price a chance here to, to, to lose the job, because of those things that we just talked about with him putting the work in this off season with him being healthy for the first time, he did have some solid showings last year. He was a very mixed bag, just like Michael Jordan was. And he has that first round pedigree and maybe it should have been second round, but nobody said it should have been later. So he should still have the tools to be an adequate guard in the NFL. The last position to talk about then is right tackle. And you <laughs> might notice I haven't said Hakeem Adeniji's name yet. And I'm not going to say it now, I'm going to say Fred Johnson is a guy that I would like to see get the shot. I'm with you on most of that. Um, differ, differ in a couple spots. I, it would obviously be Jonah Williams. There's no one else that could compete for that. And, and then after that, I'd go with Michael Jordan at left guard. And then Trey Hopkins, obviously, at, at center. You extend him uh, at the end of last season. And then here's where we differ. I would go with Xavier Suofilo. There's a reason they brought him in. They feel good about him. I would give him the first crack there. It doesn't mean he doesn't have to earn it. He can't just roll over in camp or anything like that. But that would be it. And then I'm going to go with the sixth rounder, baby. I've, I've said it a couple times. Akeem Adeniji. I, I just I, – I can't believe we're picking from these three. I'm not picking Bobby Hart. I just – I'm not. Fred Johnson, you know, might win the job, but – Kima Denigy, that's who uh, that's who I'm rolling with. Good luck. Kima Denigy was worse at Kansas last year than Fred Johnson was in the NFL last year at left tackle. So that's why I'm taking Fred Johnson there. And if he doesn't get it done, that. that's absolutely true. I don't believe that. 
Okay. I mean, Hakeem Dunaji wasn't good at Kansas last year. I, I don't know. Like, do you believe that? Is that something you think? I think he was fine at Kansas last year. He was adequate at Kansas in the Big 12. Adequate. I think he was fine. I think he was fine. Has Fred Johnson ever been fine? Yes. Last year at left tackle in two starts in the NFL. Okay, next question. It's if you're really, be... no, but, no, but if you really believe in Fred Johnson that much at left tackle, then start him at left tackle. No, they have a first-round player to play at left tackle. You put him at the other tackle. You still keep him at tackle. Okay. All right. Good talk. I'm next that, question. I'm shocked that it's that easy for you. Well, I'm saying to give him the first chance because he's had NFL success. Just like I'm saying at, at right guard, Xavier Suofilo, much like Bobby Hart, is a player who's a fine reserve. And and I think that keeping him as a reserve makes sense. He's getting paid like a backup. So you give your first round guy a shot. And if he doesn't get it, great. You have Xavier Suofilo there. But I'm saying you give the guys with upside the shot first because Billy Price has that upside. The Xavier Suofilo to me is what he is. Bobby Hart, again, not even in consideration for me. So I give Fred Johnson the shot because he had NFL success last year, is a mountain of a man, and, and seems to have upside. And then if that doesn't work, well, now you have Bobby Hart there who is your reserve, and you have Hakeem Adenergy who might come along. I'm not giving the starting job at tackle to a six-round rookie. The well, Bengals have never had it. success there. I'm not giving Yeah, I'm not giving it to him. Of course he would have to prove I said that with Xavier Suofilo too. But of these guys... I don't think there's any clear cut. Like, I don't think anything Fred Johnson last year, and you can say he was good two starts all you want. It's not like he's clear cut better than Bobby Hart or clear cut better than, and I don't even know if he has more upside than those guys. We don't know that. I mean, if he had that much upside, the Steelers wouldn't have cut him last year. If he had that much upside, he would have started winning two games for the Bengals. The Bengals Bengals got, oh, wait, no, the Bengals got him off waivers, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Pittsburgh was mad. Yeah, they were mad. (laughs) They were trying to sneak him onto the practice squad. Yeah, I mean, you can make those arguments if you want. I, I, I disagree with those opinions. I actually do have these opinions about the talent level of the offensive line. I think the, that, that Fred Johnson can be, if, if he plays the way he did last year and he corrects a few issues, he can be a fine starting tackle in the NFL. Yeah, and, maybe. Okay. I, I don't think that Hakeem Adenogy is anywhere close to that right now. Is, is from, from, a, from a traits perspective, from a film perspective, from a production perspective, not close. Gotcha. And that would be a huge departure for me. He would have had to take a huge leap in this offseason of training to, to be where Fred Johnson is right now. Same thing with Bobby Hart. Like he would have to take yeah. it. A, a you would have to take a leap to get to Bobby Hart's level yeah. too, you think? Yeah. And Bobby really? Hart's like the worst starting wow. right tackle in the league. Wow. See, I'm not there, but maybe I'm just lower on, on Hart than Jim Turner has sold you on Hakeem Denergy. Our next question comes from Jordan Rogers. Where do you think Auden Tate lands as far as usage? The wide receiver room seems to be getting crowded, especially if AJ and Ross are re-signed next year. Would someone that's used a lot in special teams be better to keep on the team, like Alex Erickson? Than Auden Tate? No, Auden Tate's on the team. Yeah. Uh, Auden Tate's on the team, and Auden Tate's going to get time, and what I think the Bengals would like to do is maximize Ross by limiting his snap some. Same thing with Green as he gets up there in age. And so instead of playing 87% of the snaps, maybe it's 82% of the snaps for Green. Instead of Ross playing 83%, maybe it's 75%. And then Auden Tate can get some of those. T. Higgins can get some of those. 
And I, I think they're going to do a lot of four wide, four wide receivers. They, they have the weapons now to get creative. And if one of these guys do go down, they have some depth there. That's it. So Auden Tate, he's a compliment to, to other guys that are ahead of him. But much like last year, he could become a starter really quick if there's an injury or two. And he's a situational mismatch. Like he has uses where he can be your number one guy in the depth chart in certain situations for certain packages for certain plays. And, and Alex Erickson cannot. There, there's no package, there's no situation in a game where Alex Erickson is going to be the number one guy at any position on the offense, unless there are injuries. And as far as the special teams argument, they've got good special teamers, good young, cheaper special teamers and returners in, in Brandon Wilson and Darius Phillips. And Erickson is absolutely a player that you want to keep on the roster for special teams and to be that depth wide receiver, but never over Auden Tate, never. Yeah, I think they're going to keep seven wide receivers, by the way. All right. Uh, Robert says, with all of the A.J. Green talk this week, what would make for a better, more successful season? Ten plus touchdowns, but lower than expected yards receiving. And he says in parentheses, less than 900 yards or 1,200 plus yards and less than five touchdowns. After all the debating, do you guys have a consensus on what a good season looks like for A.J.? I went through this today on twitter i don't know if you saw all the the tweets because there were a lot of them james but you were tagged i think in all of them and i went through and said okay if aj green has roughly an average season with what i expect the bengals offense to do in terms of volume of passes in terms of target share for aj green it works out to from a a range of about 850 yards to 1250 yards with like six to eight touchdowns and 60 to 85 catches that's roughly the range for AJ. And if he's in the middle of that, I think that's a successful season. If he's on the low end of that, he's either been hurt or, or things haven't gone very well. Yeah, I think 1,000 yards and 6 to 10 touchdowns. That doesn't mean 1,200 yards. Yeah, it is. And that's, that doesn't mean that's the, the expectation. Like if I, had to, if I had to predict for AJ, I would probably say, and it's hard for me to, to guess the receptions without like doing the math, but – 70 receptions, 75 receptions, 1,071 yards, and eight touchdowns. That's that's roughly what I would say. And, and that probably includes a, a game or two where he's out. That's all reasonable, I think, except like there's obviously a lot of variance on touchdowns. So so it's it's within reasonable bounds. Like plus or minus two touchdowns is, is kind of a reasonable range of outcomes. The catches would be... I think pretty close to an average season for him. If you, if you take away his top three seasons. So outside of his best three seasons for number of catches that that's about what he's been. So, so that's reasonable. And then 1100 or so yards. That's pretty reasonable. Our last question today, James is from Piero Rocca. This one came to me. I think this is the second week in a row. He sent this question and I think it's a pretty cool question. He said, he sent me a picture that lists, the fewest missed tackles in the NFL. The fewest defenses, fewest tackles, missed tackles by defense last year in the NFL. Minnesota number one, New England number two, Baltimore number three, New Orleans number four. And he points out that the Bengals signed players on defense from three of these teams. From Minnesota, they signed Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes. From Baltimore, they signed, obviously, the linebacker Josh Bynes. And from New Orleans, Von Bell. Those are four guys that they signed because they tackle well. I think that's a cool thing to point out. Do you think that those four players will elevate the tackling of this defense? 100%. Right. Absolutely. And 
when you couple that, and I, I think this is why the Bengals deserve praise for their vision of the defense, when you couple what they've done uh, in the linebacker room, in the secondary, with adding DJ Reader, who's good against the run, right, and, and is a, a solid tackler uh, by his own and should make it easier on the linebackers and safeties, they should be a much better tackling team, a much better, you know, more fun, fundamentally sound team. And, and that was their goal. That's why you go get Logan Wilson, who started for four years. That's why you go get Akeem Davis Gaither, big hitters, guys that aren't afraid to tackle and they can run and move and keep up with these fast running backs and quarterbacks and wide receivers in this league. So I absolutely expect them to be a better tackling team. And I, I do think it's a great point here that they went after specific traits and one of them was, was certainly uh, better tackling, which Vikings went to the playoffs, Ravens went to the playoffs, obviously, and the Saints went to the playoffs. It's, it's pretty good company. It's pretty good uh, you know, teams to pick from if you're going to do so in free agency. I, I agree with all that. I, I do wonder how big of a difference it will make. Tackling is not necessarily uh, static from year to year. It's not necessarily a very stable stat. So we'll see if the guys they've signed. Mackenzie Alexander, for example, Pretty average tackler until last year. Didn't miss a tackle. So we'll see how that uh, translates in 2020. But I do uh, agree, James, with your point that the Bengals made a concerted effort to target specific things on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that that plan has come together pretty well. Hope you guys enjoyed the extended mailbag. That's going to do it for us here this week on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Next week, training camp supposed to open. Hopefully we'll find out more about that the next time we record and we will update you with everything we've heard. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.